um, which is a tactic of manipulation. Is sleep deprivation is a huge key in cults um, to basically make them malleable to your ideas, malleable to your um, suggestions. Murders, mysteries, unexplained stories, and our family's crazy opinions on them all. Join us now. The Family School of Thought is in session. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome Hello. again to the Family School of Thought. Um, I'm ready to get started. Cassie, what's the weather like in Portland? Uh, it was a nice day. We did get a air quality warning, which usually just means there might be like a lot of dust or smoke in the air. Uh, sometimes that happens in fall, but I didn't notice anything crazy. I wasn't really outside though, so it's been nice. Okay. We've had pretty good weather here. It got really windy this afternoon, and then we had some rain, but not a lot. Yeah. It rained last night. It yeah. rained last night. And then, yeah, on the, my way to work today, it was rainy. But it was it was kind of like an overcast day today. But it wasn't too bad. Yep. Matt is in uh, the Florida Keys right now, and he's been texting me about how ungodly hot it is, and he can't go anywhere without sweating. So, oh, the Keys didn't have that. any um, hurricane damage. You know, I don't think so. But you know, like Matt hasn't said anything, so he hasn't sent any real pictures either. So I, I was don't know. gonna ask how's a uh, grandpa's place because I saw. Uh, the town yes. on the news. <laughs> <laughs> right where he's at. That, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, he has the roof damaged over his, you know, he has that shed where he puts his golf carts in. Mm -hmm. That, the roof, mm -hmm. it just a spot came up. That's all that happened to him. That's good. Well, it said he... like, yeah, away. but um, the guy behind him, his house is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And like uh, Ron and Judy, they didn't have anything, but Larry had a tree fall on his carport and smashed that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Teresa had a lot of damage at her house. And so, well, you know, they had a lot of damage, but Great he survived pretty well, I guess. Not Tom and well, Donna. He's not there. He's not there. They lost there. Well, no. That Dan, no. that Dan, you know what I'm talking about? His place got is totally wiped out. Yeah. Totally he doesn't gone. know. This is gone. Yeah. So there's a, and so, then the, people, the lady across the street and the guy next door, he lost his uh, carport and the lady across the street didn't she lose her lanai or something? That yeah, Don, right. yeah, yeah. Which so I had a lot of damage. He again didn't have that much. So. Yeah, but none That's of crazy. them are like but, were there during the storm though, right? That Donna was. No, that's the thing too. Because even the people that even the people that were there. Had to evacuate, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Donna yeah. stayed throughout it, but she didn't leave her house like to go check his out or anything because it was flooded too. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what I and his was house flooded. wasn't flooded or something kind of high, but um, like so, like people like Donna couldn't even go outside of her house because it was all flooded. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's what I was worried about because on the news it was like, uh, uh, like underwater, and I was like, oh, oh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they had a lot in that area, but um, he survived pretty well again. Yeah. So he's lucky. Good. He's they're they're um, chopping at the bit to get down there. I can tell you that. After mm -hmm. that, 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, before we get started, please, um, if you hit that like button, that helps us out a great deal. Uh, share, comment, subscribe to our channel. We would appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And again, any thoughts or comments you might have, you can contact us at thefamilyschoolofthought at gmail.com. Yes. Okay. With that, Kath, or Jess, tell us some fun facts for the week. Yeah, I got some mental floss amazing facts of the week. I got a couple that are that I want to get into, but one, um, it was just recently Columbus Day slash Indigenous People Day slash Canadian Thanksgiving. So I know we kind of touched base on this in previous uh, podcasts, but I just wanted to point out it is a mental floss amazing fact. Christopher Columbus was not the first person to discover America. So our history books are not say. correct on that. Yeah. So um, he didn't even make uh, it to Viking, America, by the way. No, didn't right, make it right. To he America. really didn't. No, no. But the first uh, a Viking explorer, Leif Erikson, which the name sounds familiar, so we, I must have learned about him at some point. But Leif Erikson beat Christopher Columbus by about 500 years, um, likely in he. Leif Erikson likely landed in Newfoundland, Canada, um, around 1000 CE, which CE is AD, I think, right? That's the new, I don't know. But there you go. So there's that little fun fact for you. That's funny you said that because I was like researching a story I was going to do just today, and it kind of ties in with that. I won't tell you because I might end up doing it, but. Um, about who the yeah first. yeah anyway. yeah so there you go so i definitely think that you know christopher columbus was not a great guy <laughs> let's just leave it at that so right. okay that wasn't even really supposed to be a, a long fun <laughs> fact that was just supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a fun fact <laughs> so okay mental floss amazing fact so in 1964 before they hit it big in america the rolling stones Mom, Dad, let's see if you guys know this about them. I already Rolling know this. Stones I can tell you right now. <laughs> okay. They recorded a jingle for a breakfast cereal. What was it? Oh, my gosh. Cheerios. I know this, too. No. Uh, I mean, no. No. It's been like Lucky Charms. or I know. The, I've the, heard this. The jingle was called Jukebox. And it says, wake up in the morning and there's a snap in the place. Wake snap, up in crackle, the morning pop. and there's a crackle. Rich Krispies. <laughs> there's yeah, a crackle okay. in its place. Yeah. That, those are some of the, yeah. <laughs> I knew it so was a, a the, famous, I mean, a big time cereal. But I yeah, could, yeah. I'd heard the story so, before, but yeah. Yeah. So they, they recorded a little jingle for Rice Krispies. They probably oh. have hung their head in shame ever since. <laughs> That's how he stays so know. skinny. He lives off snap, crackle, pop, rice krispies. Yeah, that's exactly that's how he gets his moves. <laughs> yep. Okay, so my next one. In 1915, a 30 year old South Carolinian named Essie Dunbar suffered a fatal attack of epilepsy. So, um, or so everybody thought. And after she was declared being dead, doctors placed uh, her body in a coffin and scheduled her for her funeral the next day so that her sister, who lived out of town, could still be able there be there to pay her respects. Unfortunately, Dunbar's sister didn't travel fast enough, and she uh, arrived at the ceremony 
just as the last bits of dirt were being thrown onto Dunbar's grave. Insistent on wanting to be able to say goodbye to her sister, Effie, one last time, Dunbar's sister ordered that the body be removed. And when the coffin lid was open, Effie sat up and smiled. And she lived another 47 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Thought that was a cool So story. did she okay. think of it like she thought it was a joke? Or like Essie was That's like playing out a prank? Or... <laughs> I, it, doesn't, it doesn't go into de- details on that. So I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> it just says she sat up and smiled. So maybe she woke up from a nap. I don't know. Um, was how long was she buried for? And how, how uh, old was she? She was 30 years old. And um, it doesn't say how long she was buried for, but she was put into a coffin and then buried the next day. And then they were waiting to bury her until her sister got there, but she didn't get there quick enough. So she wasn't really in the ground very long, I would say, you know, under dirt. But uh, she was in the coffin for a good, good amount of time. So how could she breathe? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure about this story. Well, there um, you go. That's a mental floss, amazing fact. So, I know one time at work we were having that discussion because they used to put bells in coffins. so Just in case. Just in case they weren't really dead. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. put bells in there, but they're not going to live once they're buried. Well, there's no right. actually, did you know... <laughs> um, People, so they would tie basically the like the string around the people the dead people's fingers, um, and due to rigor mortis, the finger would move, and so the bells would go off mm-hmm. late at night. Yeah. So they yeah. stopped doing that because the bells were ringing, but nobody was actually alive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, that's that goes with the joke that I always say, like. You know, what do you think Janice would be doing if she was alive today? She'd be dead. What do you think she'd be doing? Scratching at their cup and trying to get out. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. That was bad. Um, let's, uh, Cassie, you got a song for us? I do. So I don't know. You might know this one. You might not. Um, but this week's song is going to be Exit by U2. Does anybody know it? So it was one of the darker songs on their Joshua Tree album, Um, and Bono actually wrote it while he was reading Norman Mailer's uh, The Executioner's Song from from 1980, uh, which was about serial killer Gary Gilmore. Um, He was also reading Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, uh, a 1966 um, novel. Um, and he said that he wrote it um, in a way to get into a serial killer's mind. So it is a it's a darker song about kind of um, hmm. I, I don't really know like the lyrics kind of revolve around somebody who seems to be like looking for something or waiting for something. Um, there's lyrics such as uh, you know it's mostly like my love, my love, my love, but it's this very dark tone song. Um, and he said he wanted to write a song with a sense of violence in it. So it's not a violent song, but you, there's a feeling of violence to it. Um, and he probably would later go on to regret 
uh, saying any of this or kind of this song in general because um, notable killer Robert John Bardo would go on to say this song inspired him to murder American actress Rebecca Schaefer, um, whom, he, yeah. whom he had stalked for three years before shooting her in her own home. Um, at his yeah. trial, they actually played this song, Exit by U2, and he was notably singing along to the song. So. Yeah, I remember that. Creepy. Yeah, super creepy. creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm sure Bono wasn't. <laughs> He kind of was like, oh, no, 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 not like that. Right, right, right. Uh, it's pretty creepy. I well, I'm sure the Beatles never would think Helter Skelter would cause them any problems, neither. Well, no. I don't Hel think Helter anybody... Skelter was a roller coaster ride. It wasn't yeah. even about yeah. killing people. Right, right, right. So I don't think they go out of their way to like do this, but it's one of those things where they probably regret saying that they want to right. get into the mind of a killer right. or have, have a song with a sense of violence when it's used for violence wow. then mm. it's crazy there you go that's a song for the week mm. all right okay Cass, i think you're up this week are I you not i am i am Good. what you got for us well i have one and i again i this is i might regret saying this uh, but it's something that I've been obsessed with um, since I watched a documentary. Um, and so this nope. is the in-depth dive into the Nexium cult. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. So all my information comes from The Vow, a documentary series on HBO. Um, also the podcast, it's a C Canadian broadcasting uh, podcast called Uncover, Escaping Nexium, as well as a ParCast podcast, um, uh, Cults, on their four-part series of Nexium. But, this so is this, the one where, this is the one where the girl from, uh, Smallville. uh, Smallville. Yeah, I was, I knew it was Superman, but yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Yes, yes, yes. So, this is a, probably, I don't know, to me, it is one of the most notable uh, like nowadays cult. I mean, there's many that are actually like kind of in the news right now. Um, but I think to me, it's the most notable. It's the only one that's like actually had people charged with, you know, crimes. Um, but I, I also know a lot of people who don't know this story. So it's kind of well, and different than other cults too. This was sex trafficking, right? Well, that's it's the thing is, it's like it that's basically what they got charged for but it didn't start out as that um and also that i'm the reason i'm doing it this week is because i think on october 17th um the vow is having a part two where they're doing a second part of the series where it's all based off of nancy saltzman who was not part of the sex cult um and she's basically it looks like from the trailer she's trying to say like uh, keith ranieri who is the uh, founder of this uh, it's, it's supposed to be a company uh, founder of this company leader of the sex cult he like basically ruined her company and like all this stuff and he, she's trying to place the blame on him um, which I don't know I'll try to 
say most of it. It does seem mostly his fault to begin with, but I wouldn't say the company in itself is not a cult because they itself, before the sex cult came along, were already being considered as a cult. So it's not like the sex cult thing was the only thing wrong with this place. But anyway, we'll start. Um, and this is kind of, I'm trying to like, smush this into an hour so I'm I am I know I'm gonna lose a lot of information in the process but if you want to like the full story which is insane and crazy and there's so many things to be said about this I would go watch the vow or any of the podcasts I mentioned or just google it's it's insane there's so much information to this um but anyway um Keith Raniere was born on April 26th 1960 um he was told at a very young age by his parents that he was gifted and he, he was even tested. Um, and so it said that he was, um, had a very high IQ as a child. Um, he would later go on to claim that he was talking in full sentences at one years old uh, and able to read full books at two years old. Um, and even that he was a piano prodigy as a child. So he already has a very big self-inflated uh, ego, um, and it's, it seems like that is a lot of the problem, is that he, his, in some of the interviews with other people, his father is stated as saying that after he was told he was gifted and that his, he tested high on IQ as a child, it was like a, a switch flipped in him, and he, like, all of a sudden had this very, like, holier-than-thou attitude he had a huge ego he didn't he had friends in school but it was clear that he thought he was better than any of his friends um a lot of his friends said that they noticed the difference as well um and in his teen years he had a lot of uh i wouldn't say issues with girls but he seemed to be kind of this magnetic force um with women uh and young girls especially uh he his parents later divorced when he was i think a young child or at least early teens um and he claims that his mother was an alcoholic and he had to take care of her a lot of times and make sure she wasn't taking too many pills or drinking too much when he was really young um and there's unconfirmed reports that she may have abused him mentally physically and even some say sexually so he, from the get-go, kind of had this inflated ego, um, these issues with women where he kind of blamed women for having, for him having to take care of them. Um, and this basically would be kind of like the, 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 the nail in the coffin almost. Uh, this was, you know, the start of it all, uh, for him. Uh, I, and I believe... He dropped out of school, like high school, um, and got his GED and went to college. Um, and he claims that he basically got uh, a bunch of degrees, um, multiple degrees in mathematics, biology, um, and some other things. Very, like, very, like, on paper looks like smart degrees. Um, but he, his GPA, I think, was revealed to only be, like, a 2.24 or something when he graduated. So, not, like 
not that GPAs so really... wasn't gifted. <laughs> well, it, the thing is, is like, not that I don't really, I personally don't really believe in the GPA system. I just don't like, it's such a weird system to be no. with. Like a weird yeah. thing to like put a number on whether or not you graduated the best you could or, you know, anything like that. Like, I think as long as you graduated, like who cares what your grades were? You went there, you right. took the class. Yeah. Like it is what it is. Um, but he graduated college, um, continued to kind of have this, uh, he would later go on to say the smartest man in the world, smartest man alive mentality. Um, and he got a job at Amway, which is, uh, I don't know too much about the company, but it was a multi-level marketing uh, business. They're out of Michigan. They're out of Grand Rapids. Good. Well, this is in New York. So he worked there in New York, in a New York business. Um, but it's basically a pyramid scheme, which is what all multi-level mm -hmm. marketing businesses are. No matter what you say, it is a pyramid scheme. Um, See, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know who debt, uh, um, de or now I can't think of her name, DeVos, Betsy, Betsy? DeVos. She yeah. runs Amway? That's her company? That's her family. Oh, wow. I don't know if she married into it or if they're that, but... That's the name sounded yeah. familiar, and I meant to research it more, but it was one of those things where I got so obsessed with this, I didn't look up the company. Yeah. But basically, he, he worked at M, uh, Amway while he was in his early 20s and basically oh. got the, the blueprint of how to run and own a multi-level marketing business. Um... And while he was there, um, he uh, would have lots of parties. Like he was, he's, a, the thing is, is he's a very charismatic, charismatic person. Um, so he kind of has always had a huge group of people around him. And he, when he worked at Amway, he would often have large parties um, where he would talk about his ideas of the, the human potential and how to get there and what we need to do as a society to reach our, you know, utmost potential. Um, and a lot of people would go and listen to him. Mostly women would go. Um, he, even at this time, had a lot of uh, claims that he was, you know, uh, I don't want to say abusing women, but like uh, manipulating women into relationships. Um, even as a teen, he was caught by his mother calling multiple girls a night, telling them that they're the, he only loves them and they're the special person in his life. And his mother got so worried about it that she called her, his dad and was like, this is really weird. Like, why is he talking to so many women? Which I think even at that time, they probably played it off as, well, he's a player or he's a... Uh, you know, mm -hmm. a ladies man, like he just has lots of women. Um, and so I think, and especially when he was in the early 20s, I think people just played it off as that. And I think that kind of attitude really affected it, it like affected the problem because nobody for like not forced him, but like nobody told him like, what are you doing? Like, you can't, you can't be dating multiple women at the same time, which he would later go on to do like he that's kind of what he's known for is he is he he claims to be polyamorous he he wants women multiple women to be in relationships with him um so it this attitude clearly goes on to spark a lot of the problems that we see later on in his life um he, so he meets i think 
can't remember her name, but he meets a journalist while he is at one of his parties who um, asks him to take uh, another IQ test because he's he's claiming he's very smart. Um, and people basically say, like, all right, well, let's let's test it again. You know, let's test it as an adult. Um, and he actually scores a 178 on this test, which, uh, to put it in perspective, Einstein, who created, or not created, but understood uh, relativity, um, scored 160. So he has a higher IQ than Einstein. Um, he, he would later go on to inflate this to 240. He would tell people he scored 240 on this test. Um, and I do want to point out that it was later discovered that this was an at-home test. So he took this home, this test home and was okay. able to this take the test. Really yes. It was an open book. It was an open book test that, test that he got 178 on. So is he the smartest this man alive? This sounds really familiar, like a former president was just bragging about. Well, it got so bad Queen. that um, Australia's Guinness World of Guinness Book of World Records uh, put him in the book as one of the world's smartest per people alive. So yeah. apparently nobody wanted to do the work to research whether or not he was actually the smartest person alive or if he just could take a test with a computer in front. Well, this was 1998, so uh, probably not a computer in front of him, but he was able to find the information, I'm guessing. Um, but so all this happens, he starts his own business, Consumers Byline, in 1990. Uh, and it basically was a program where uh, members of this Consumers Byline would get discounts um, for being members at pretty much, it was like a call-in, uh, almost like an encyclopedia. I can't remember like what their those like salesmen were, but like you just basically call in and like order stuff. It was kind of like the phone-in Amazon almost. Um, but you would get discounts uh, for shopping through them and being a member, and you would get more discounts the more people you referred to. Um, and so the more people you referred to, the more discounts you get, so on and so forth. Obviously, pyramid scheme, which in 1992, just two years later, uh, basically fell apart for being a pyramid scheme, and he was caught by the FBI, uh, and his business had to be shut down. Uh, and again, during this time, he is also under investigation for sexually assaulting uh, young girls and grooming young girls. So he's being looked at for multiple things at this point. Um, but still, apparently, he is a very personable person and nobody seems to find anything wrong with it. He has a girlfriend who, after Consumers Byline is shut down... Uh, he moves in with her and her son, and they basically have this homeopathic uh, nutrition store that they run in New York for a minute. Um, and his girlfriend, her name is Tony, um, in 1997 met with a woman named Nancy Solzman, who was a, uh, a therapist. But she was also somebody who uh, apparently claimed to be a neuro-linguistics expert, which is... I. I don't know, um, but apparently uh, she was able to help a lot of like higher up CEOs at huge companies um, work through problems, anything like that. But she helped this Tony. Uh, she decided to take on Tony as a therapist 
Um, but before she took Tony on, as, uh, Nancy was the therapist, and before she took uh, Tony on as a client, Tony was explaining Keith, uh, her boyfriend, to Nancy, and Nancy called him a psychopath from what she was being told, and that Tony should leave him. Uh, and this was before she became Nancy's client. Now she becomes Nancy's client as a therapist, and all of a sudden she has flipped the script. She no longer is calling Keith a psychopath, um, but she is blaming Tony for their relationship problems due to her unresolved childhood trauma of being molested when she was a child, information that she, Tony, had only told Keith. Oh. So. Oh. Somehow, Nancy Saltzman knew information that this person had never told her, but had told Keith. So, and no, and she's no longer calling Keith a psychopath, which should indicate some things to Tony, but apparently it did not. Um, three months after this meeting uh, and Tony becoming Nancy's client, Keith and Nancy started a business in 1998 called the Executive Success Program, which was supposed to be self-improvement classes for executive and higher-ups in the business world to improve their standings, improve their personalities, improve basically anything that they were having problems with where they felt like they couldn't move further in their life goals or positions. Um, but because of uh, Keith's reputation and his failed businesses, most executives and CEO clients of Nancy, who they were kind of banking on being in these classes, uh, dropped out and they said they didn't want to work with Keith. Um, so Nancy and Keith basically changed the programming to basically be anybody who wanted self-help, anybody who needed a little, like, self-improvement in their lives um they could take these classes and basically they marketed it as you know they could help actresses and actors get oscars they could help olympics olympians win olympic gold medals which i don't really know how these two people with executive success are gonna help olympic gold medalists but hey they that's what they marketed it as they were going to help people um, improve their lives. That's what they started this program as. Um, and they, so it's basically, uh, you have to take classes and you start the starting classes as a student. Like the first class you take is usually a five to six day long seminar, um, that costs $3,000. Um, yeah. And a lot of people had trouble coming up with this money, but they basically, anytime they would recruit people and find people to take these classes who would say like, oh, $3,000 is a lot. Like I, that's rent for a couple months, you know, they would say, well, do you want to improve or do you want to stay stagnant where you're at? And they basically would kind of manipulate these people into taking these classes, these $3,000 classes, uh, and it worked. Um, multiple. This was a huge success program. Um, it started to basically once it started to kick off, it had it began having ranking systems, and they would have different sashes to show different ranks, um, and they were different colors. And basically, you would start out as a white scarf or a sash, 
and you would move up to orange and green and purple depending on your rank in this group. Um, and Keith, being the founder of this, uh, decided that he had uh, the spiritual sash, which was only he could get because he was basically the guru, the know-all, um, the smartest man alive in his own words. Um, and he decided that he was going to be called the Vanguard. And so anybody referring to him would have to refer to him as the Vanguard. Um, and Nancy also got a title. She was a prefect. And she basically had a scarf that also nobody could really get to because it was only for her. But it was lower than Keith's. Um, so it was the ranking system. You had your color and then you had to basically get four stripes on your scarf before you could move up to the next color. And this had to deal with how many hours you put in classes, how many classes you took, how many people you recruited into the program, which it was supposed to be basically how many, they, to begin with, it was supposed to be more about how many hours you put into classes, how many classes you taught was what you would get stripes for. Um, but then most people realized that they would only get stripes if they recruited a certain amount of people. Um, and so it came, became a multi-level marketing scheme where you have to, the more people you recruit in, the better your standing is in the company. Um, and again, classes started at about $3,000 and there were other classes that could be up to about $7,500 to take. And these were like the higher standing classes that you could take. Um, and a lot of people that I saw in the documentary and in the Escaping Nexium podcast basically said the first week that they, these classes that they would go to not knowing anything about Nexium, or at the time it was called the Executive Success, Success Program, said that the first few days they were like, what did I spend my money on? Like, this is a scam. Like, this is, like, there's, there's no way this is going to help me in my life. Um, and then basically the person who recruited them would be like, well, you just got to stay till the end of the week. You just have to stay till the end of these classes and you'll get it. And most of them say they did. The, the, the thing is, is that most of the people said they stayed for the full week and it helped them. It, it built up their confidence. They learned how to deal with problems in their life, mentality problems of, uh, unfortunately, it seems to me like the most of the classes were basically saying, telling the people to stop seeing themselves as victims um, and taking responsibility for things that happen in their life um, and that you are at fault for everything in your life, which knowing now that it is a cult and a sex cult seems to be right. manipulative and emotionally manipulative to basically force people to not believe that they are victims in these crimes that are now committed against them. So it started out, it started out as a cult. Like I, I just, I see a lot of people saying like, oh, if it hadn't become a sex cult, it wouldn't be bad place, but it already had cult mentality. It was already telling people to listen to what they are saying and nothing else. Um, and it just, it even, so basically the students would take classes taught by coaches who would be orange sashes. Um, and they would participate in a curriculum called Exploration of Meaning or EMs, where the coach would basically talk through the students' problems um, and kind of 
get down to the nitty-gritty of why their life is stagnant, why they feel like nothing is happening in their life. And most of the time, these negative origins would be the person's fears or, uh, like, traumas, basically. A lot of people said that the, they would basically pick at them until they got a trauma that happened in their childhood or in their life that was basically holding them back. Um, unbeknownst to them, or kind of beknownst to them, um, these coaches are basically taking notes the whole time, and then these notes are going to Nancy and Keith. And so now they're basically using these fears and these traumas against these people and basically using them as manipulative tactics to get, you know, emotional blackmail on these people and say, like, well, you don't like being told to do this certain thing because you're afraid of this. And so it, it, everything kind of came back to your fear is making you a victim and we all know that you're not a victim. So you just, why do you have that fear in the first place? So a lot of these tactics and these curriculums were based off of emotional abuse and emotional manipulation, which again, is more on Nancy than it is on Keith because that was her field of study. So sounds a lot like Scientology. So a lot. I was of, just gonna say the same thing. A lot of it is compared to Scientology, especially in the podcast that I listen to, Cults. Um, but they basically say like this is the exact same as this in Scientology. They're using these tactics, which are exactly like Scientology. So maybe even uh, Nancy and Keith kind of took little things from Scientology. I don't know. I don't think they've ever said anything about it. Um, but so in the documentary, The Vow, one, two of the biggest people are uh, Mark Valentes and Sarah Edmondson. Um, and Mark is one of the first people to say that basically once you become a coach and once you become a proctor, you have to teach so many classes. You have to go in every day and teach a certain amount of hours of classes to these new students or coaches or anything like that. You have to basically create your own curriculum to teach in these classes. Um, and sometimes it would be, you would have to have up to 16 hours a day teaching these classes um and early on there were many reports of uh sleep deprivation and problems with uh the coaches and the, the proctors basically having mental breakdowns because of sleep deprivation they didn't feel like they had enough time in the day to do everything that they needed to do for the executive success program and sleep or and eat um, which is a tactic of manipulation is sleep deprivation is a huge key in cults um, to basically make them malleable to your ideas, malleable to your um, suggestions. Um, one of the biggest things was, so once this really took off, it was based in Albany, New York. Once it took off, there was offices in Canada and California and Mexico a lot of these people who were taking these classes basically decided to open their own offices and start this program in other locations um, but one of the biggest things was 
everything had to go through Keith. Everything, if you had a question, you had to talk to Keith about it. You had to, um, he basically had to be in the know at all times, but he would say he's too busy to do anything over the phone or you have to, he, he basically tell them, you have to come to me. You have to come to Albany. I'm too busy. All this stuff. Um, and most of the time, the only time he had to answer any of these questions uh, was when he would be playing volleyball late at night because he loved volleyball. He loved staying active. Um, and many people felt like he would basically make them come to these volleyball games, sit there, watch him play volleyball. And then the moment they go on break or the moment they take a timeout, he basically gets bum rushed by all these people who have these questions that they need the answers to. He has to know this question. He has to tell me what to do. And so it was like a rock star. You had to basically like fight to get his attention. Um, and it was like, I think in the documentary, they said they would play until like two, three in the morning. And so you would have to wait your turn to talk to him for information that you needed his uh, go for on. And that caused a lot of problems with people not being able to get his uh, response or answers or basically like they, it was they would have to wait until they were allowed to speak to him. And it, it created this like God complex around him. He just he saw himself as this all knowing, all seeing. Everybody has to go through him. I don't have time for everyone, but I have time to play volleyball every night until 2, 3 in the morning. Um, and it got so bad that basically they would, they were supposed to have a week every year where they celebrated the company, where they basically had a summer camp for all the higher-ups to come to and basically celebrate um, their successes for the year. Um, but it just so happened to fall on Keith's birthday. So it became known as Vanguard Week, which again is what Keith instructed them to call him. He was Vanguard. So they had a whole week, which actually was 10 days where they celebrated his birthday. They would have, they would celebrate their own successes, but again, it would be contributed to Keith and what he um, kind of, uh, you know, made them succeed to. Everything was thanked to Keith. Um, and I actually forgot to talk about it, but uh, during the like ranking system of this group, you would have rules of how you were supposed to treat people higher in rank than you. And one of them was the handshake. Anybody of lower uh, status was never allowed to put their hand above a higher status. So the, 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 instead of like a handshake being like this, it would be like this. And the higher status would be here, lower status would be here. Um, so they had to be lower than the higher rankers. Um, and you had to stand anytime a person of higher rank came into a room. And also you had to bow to anybody who was of higher rank than you. And Keith would often come to these classes and everyone would have to stand and bow to him as he basically presented himself to the class. Um, and one of the biggest things that uh, helped this company succeed was that um, 
two of the heiresses of the Seagram's um, fortune, the like Seagram li liquor, um, uh, were kind of their families were sort of philanthropists, um, but they basically had contacts with the Dalai Lama of India and got him to come talk to a group of 3,000 Nexium members. And at this uh, talk or at this, you know, thing where the Dalai Lama came, he put this spiritual Tibetan sash on Keith's, around Keith's neck and basically thanked him for all his good work. And so it literally just catapulted his, you know, uh, ego. And he just, even all the Nexium people were like, well, the Dalai Lama thinks that Keith is this high guru who knows all and sees all. Uh, and so everybody kind of, it was like this huge celebration of we've done it, we've made it. Keith is a god now. Um, and it really was their high point. So this was like in 2009 when this happened and this was basically the peak of Nexium. Uh, because despite, you know, all these coaches saying that they didn't have time to do these classes, um, they were sleep deprived, a lot of them were having mental problems, they were gaining, they were gaining members by the hundreds. They were gaining notable names such as the Seagram's heiresses, um, award-winning filmmakers were joining these groups, celebrity actors, celebrity socialites. Basically, anybody who was anybody knew about these classes or knew somebody in these classes, uh, and they were joining them. And Allison Mack of Supernatural was one of them. Or not Supernatural, I'm sorry. Um, Smallville. Uh, Smallville. Was one of them. And actually, in the documentary, The Vow, you see multiple members of uh, Smallville at these meetings. So it seems like maybe somebody else oh, joined. Oh, she had yeah, like maybe somebody else from the Smallville cast joined and was like, oh, you should take these classes. And so she took this class and I think she went to like a big conference. It wasn't like she went to one of these like 15 to 20 people classes. She went to like this big conference where once Keith, I don't know why he was so excited about her, but basically as soon as they found out she was going to go, Keith sent all his higher ups like nancy solzman laura solzman her daughter he sent right. the 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 seagram's heiresses he sent basically all his higher power people to these this conference to basically get her on a plane this was so this was in california he was still in new york they got her allison mack on this plane and flew her out to new york and that was it like that was that was it for allison mack she was happy like she was just uh, immersed yeah, almost immediately right. um she was she was automatically talking about how much she loved the program begging other celebrities to join these programs i think she even was like on twitter like telling emma watson who is a known like feminist and feminist. She, she was telling yeah. emma like you need to join this group you have to it's like a feminist like everybody woman empowering all this stuff um, so like immediately she was in she was and in the group. Who was her mother? Her mother is famous. No, so you're thinking of uh, I can't think of her name, but she was from. What's 
show. It's like a, it's not a soap opera, but it was a soap opera. Uh, the, the daughter's name is India. That's all I know is that the daughter's name is India and it was like, her, what is it called? It's some like TV show that would like ran for forever. I can't think of what it's called. Um, but no, it, Allison Mack was just a regular old celebrity. I think her parents like oh, okay. maybe did finances. I don't know. That's the thing is I don't know why Allison Mack who maybe at the time, like, Smallville was kind of a popular show, but, like, I don't know why she was so focused on. Um, maybe, unfortunately, she was easy to manipulate. It seems like she was very easy to manipulate because it's not like it took years for her to get this bad. Like, it was almost as soon as she met Keith, she was under his spell and she was doing kind of... She was already very much willing to do anything for him. Um, but so in 2006, a bunch of sub subsects of this group basically started and that's why they turned their name from executive success program to the more umbrella term of Nexium, which Nexium is spelt very weird. It's spelt N-X-I-V-M, which I think is more, it's supposed to be like more uh, Roman numerals, um, but it is spelt really weird just to put that out there. Um, but so in 2006, Jeunesse, which is what Allison Mack was indoctrinated into, um, which is supposed to be this woman empowerment group, um, basically women helping women. Um, but again, it was started by Keith. It was ran by his now known as Harem, which was basically a bunch of the higher up women were sleeping with him and they were basically in charge of this group which obviously would lead to members, other members who are being recruited by these members having sexual relationships with Keith. He was saying he was pious, he was a virtuous man um, to everybody who talked to him. I think even <laughs> that's how he got the Dalai Lama to come was he basically claimed to be this non-sexually active man. <laughs> um, but he was sleeping with I think they said upwards of like 30 women um, at this time. Yeah. yeah. And I I can't remember who she says the name is. This is, came from the podcast. But one of the higher up members of his harem basically visited the abortion clinic so many times with young members, young women members, to get abortions for these young women that the clinic workers recognized her almost immediately and knew what she was there for with this pe with somebody else. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, when I say young women, I do mean young girls. Most of these were underage girls getting abortions. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, another group that became started was the Society of Protectors in 2011 was an all-men's group. Basically, Jeunesse worked so well that they started an all-male group that was supposed to basically, as the name suggests, be protectors. Um, I think Mark Valentes said that, I think he started, so he started the group, and he said that it was basically supposed to be a bunch of classes that would take boys into men. Turn boys into men, be protectors, be the strong 
member of the relationship. Um, but unfortunately, this one seemed to turn pretty sour very quickly. Um, many of Keith would take Keith would attend many of these classes where he would basically sit at the front of the class and talk a lot about how men uh, have this innate urge to be polyamorous. They're never supposed to uh, settle down and be with one woman. Um, but then it was also, he would talk a lot about how it was women's fault um, that men were so uh, animalistically attracted to them and that they, that they were the fault of all problems, that they were women are inherently narcissistic and self-preserving. Uh, and women who would attend these classes, who were asked to attend these classes, would oftentimes say that they were demeaned while they were there. Um, they would be, they would basically have to stand like, they would stand in this, the midst of this group of men and basically ranked. Uh, they would basically, the men would say, well, she's wearing a shirt that shows, like, a little bit of cleavage, so she's obviously uh, uh, insecure and needs male attention. Um, she's wearing jeans that really accentuate body parts, so she needs attention. Um, she's trying to get attention from us. Uh, and then they would rank the women who were there and say who was the best, who was the worst. Uh, and this, again, was supposed to be the Society of Protectors. So. Seems about right. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so both of these subgroups basically would ask members who join these subgroups to offer up collaterals. Um, and basically, at the time, what this meant was large sums of money, um, and some people even claimed to have uh, offered up their mortgages um, <laughs> uh, to be collaterals. And the collaterals would only be returned to the member if they completed what they set out for goals. Um, if not, the company and the groups would keep their collaterals, which again, was large sums of money up to like two thousand dollars and sometimes the house mortgages so they now have the deeds to some nice. of these people's houses that seems not corrupt at all but hey whatever hey i want to do that i know put my life with it on the line <laughs> um and even so i'm not sure about janess uh but mark valentes says that the society of protectors started readiness drills which would later we would later see in dos which is the sex cult group uh which would be anytime uh the higher ranking member would text his group ready um they would have to respond in a certain amount of time now i don't know for the society of protectors what this time limit was um for dos it was uh, they had to respond with on it they had to respond in under a minute um and these readiness drills could happen at any time of the day um and if anybody failed uh these readiness drills the entirety group like the the group the group as a whole would be punished for one person maybe at 3 a.m not answering a readiness drill within a minute um 
And so now we get these in. people are crazy. They're, How can they get into these cults? And that's what a lot of these people now that it has been. It, it, the thing is, is that even so, I think in two thousand and nine, maybe like right before the Dalai Lama or right after the Dalai Lama, there was this big Forbes article about Keith and how he's this huge up and coming businessman. Um, and right. it was a scathing, like they thought it was going to be this wonderful article about this group, but it was basically this scathing article about how this is a cult and how Keith is manipulating people in the cult using money from these heiresses and money from his like ex-girlfriends or ex-wives or people who are still in the group. He's using their money. And so like it, it was never at a point where it was not being called out for its problems so i don't know how it got past some of these people a lot of people who have now come out against the cult say they don't know how it happened either like they don't they don't know where it started for them and why it got so bad but again i think it comes down to people who are going to these classes not that i don't think self-help classes or self-improvement classes are bad but a lot of times, these are people who are easily manipulated because they are searching for something. They need something, but they can't put their finger on it. And so they're asking for somebody else to tell them what they need. And that is a very easy tactic to basically manipulate people and saying, I know exactly what you need. And only I can provide that for you. And that's well, what these for are people to lose all of their money and their house well, yeah it, it, but the thing is is that they 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 wrap it up in this bow of like well that's not i'm trying i'm not trying to steal this money from you you didn't achieve your goal so you knew when you gave me this as a collateral that it was a possibility you just thought you could get to this goal but you didn't um so i it, you know it's insane but it is what it is you know, people fall into cults. We know this. It, we gotta help, but it, it, I think I saw somewhere, I don't know if it was connected to Nexium, but basically people said it's easier to fool people into something than to fool them out of it. Um, so it, once you're there, it's, you know, yeah. it's really hard to basically detune. It's very hard. It's very hard once you have invested right. the money, the time, right. and the years into right. something to say, oh, you just kind of have to keep going along with it because you're too invested in it. Right, right. And I think that's what a lot right. of people said, especially once the like the monetary collaterals were being in introduced, was that I've already put so much money into this. I, my house, the, my, the deed to my house is on the line. I have to stick with this. Um, and even so, I didn't really get into it because it's kind of, it, it goes too much into Keith's um, uh, life. But... Uh, People who would leave the executive success program would be sued by Keith. And basically, like, he would drop all these lawsuits on them for... He would basically say that they were trying to steal his idea and, like, basically take his classes somewhere else and start their own business. Which, again, is exactly what he did. Um, but he, he would use... Basically, the two heiresses from Seagram's had pretty good lawyers and they were that's what they got charged for was that they would drop all these lawsuits on people who left the group so that was like that was another fear of like you can't leave the group because you become this pariah and you become this right like, oh i think they i can't remember the exact word they called it 
but there's like a word that they used for people that they that didn't believe in the group anymore and they didn't want to be like they didn't want to be this pariah to the group anymore they couldn't talk if they left the group they couldn't talk to their friends most of these people now have been in it for years all of their friends are in this group so if they leave the group they lose everybody um, which is what you see with the people who did leave is that they basically had to fight against their friends um so i'm sure there are some some i'm sure it's the same as like I'm just thinking with like the the Playboy bunnies yeah. in that kind of a situation with two half nurse girlfriends, where a lot of them showed like on the outside that they wanted to be there, but in reality he was holding like revenge porn, or they would be intoxicated and he would take you know, pictures of them and you know say that hey if you leave these are going out these are being leaked, which I think when you choose to pose for Playboy you have that control over what you're showing, you know, the nakedness of whatever compared to somebody else taking a naked picture of you or, you know, a pornographic picture of you without your consent. Right. It's a completely different situation. And um, I'm sure that it's the same with these cults though, too. Like, Hey, you leave, we're going to destroy your name and destroy your reputation. Well, that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because now we're going to get into DOS, which was created in 2015. Um, it stands for Dominus Obsequious Sororium, um, which is translated to Master Over Slave Women. Um, oh, I think, nice. I think they initially told the, the women, so this is supposed to be an all-women group, again, like Jeunesse. Um, I think they originally told the women that it stood for master over slave, which still has its problematic, uh, ideals. Um, but I think, you know, they, the women who would recruit into this, which was mostly Allison Mack and Lauren Saltz, Laura Saltzman would basically tell these people that it again is like Jeunesse where it's supposed to be this women empowering other women. Um, but it basically you know we're hot we're holding you to a higher standard you're no longer just allowed to be in the group you have to be active in the group um and it has to be it's i can't remember what sarah edmondson who is one of the first whistleblowers from dos to come out um what she kind of said was what laura told her was like it was something along the lines of like uh if other women are holding you accountable for you saying you're going to do something, it's you're more likely to do it, which uh, was a big thing for the Society of Protectors. They were held accountable by the other group members. Um, and this, again, I think everything about this business, Nexium as a whole, is a cult. But DOS is basically, it, it, it was the downfall of Nexium. Because again, in 2015 they were uh, at a you know at their biggest their their height they were hiring or they were having the most members join their group um they were basically one of the biggest companies in new york in in california at this time they had big name people involved um members women were told when they joined this group that Keith had nothing to do with it. He didn't even know about the group. 
Um, he had no control over what the group did. Um, this group, unlike uh, other groups or other classes in the business, was free to join, but you had to have a higher collateral than ever before. Um, and most of these members took it as they were supposed to pay more, it was going to cost more, they had to offer up more money. Um, but uh, most of them said any time they basically said, okay, I am going to offer you $2,000. Um, whoever it was hired, whoever was recruiting them would say, no, that's not enough. And so they would move on to a different monetary value. No, that's not enough. Um, and so they would ask, well, what, what can I provide? Um, and so the recruiter would say, well, what don't you want people to know? Uh, what, what would you be afraid to get out to the public? That's the kind of collateral we're asking for, is something that you don't want to lose. Um, and so like in many cases of Sarah Edmondson, they would, they would basically tell the people to lie um, create this huge lie. Um, Sarah said that her parents, as well as her husband, who was also in Nexium at the time, abused her, uh, that they sexually assaulted her, which again was all a lie. She said that Laura, her recruiter, basically filmed her admitting this, admitting this, in a way that seemed like it was candid, like she didn't know the camera was there, they were in a car. Um, so it basically was supposed to be this big secret. Like nobody knew. Um, but again, this was a lie. And this was the only collateral Laura would take from Sarah. Um, other women said that they had to take naked photos and give it to their master to join this group. Their master? Yep. So anybody who was recruited into this, this group... Um, their recruiter was called their master, and they were their slave. Again, a lot of women had problems with this, but basically the recruiters were able to explain it away as, well, it's not like you're going to be in a cage. It's not like you are going to have to, like, you know, we're not going to do anything bad. You know, you're just a metaphorical slave, which uh, would immediately become a lie because... Some women claimed that they were tortured if they failed a task. They were asked to clean their master's homes. They were asked to do tasks for their master. So it, it is a master-slave relationship. Weren't they, they, um, they were branded? Yeah. So um, pretty much, I think, I can't remember how long into DOS being around. Um, it Alice and Mac, who was one of the bigger founders of DOS, um, was in a sexual relationship with Keith, um, and he was getting tired of her, and she was basically trying to come up with anything and any any way to keep him interested, and that's why DOS came around, um, because it basically allowed them to recruit young women to who are now, who now have emotional or you know, physical blackmail that they don't want naked pictures that they don't want anyone to see. Um, it, it's being used to basically say, well, you know, now you have to do this job and the job is you need to seduce Keith. Um, you need to make sure that Keith is interested in you. 
you need to have sex with Keith. You need to perform for Keith. Mm -hmm. um, and this, so at this time, he's getting to around 60. Uh, and so he was having a lot of problems performing. Um, so he was getting very tired of DOS to begin with. Or he was getting tired of DOS at this point. And Allison suggested, well, what if we brand them? What if they are yours? Um, and he liked he liked that idea quite a bit. Um, and so, women, unbeknownst to these women, they are being told that the society is getting a tattoo to commemorate your, you know, membership. You're going to get a tattoo. Um, it's supposed to be this symbol for strength and empowerment. Um, and again, they're told it's supposed to be like a dime size tattoo. And it, I think they're even told like it can be anywhere on your body. Um, and so most of the women say, fine, okay. Like, I think Sarah said she didn't want to get one. She has, had never had a tattoo. She didn't want to get a tattoo, but she was pressured into, I think a lot of them were pressured by their blackmail to not say no. You know, if I say no, I'm failing this task and my blackmail could come out. Um, it, so... The, once they said yes, they were basically secreted away to this random, random house that would later be found out to be Alice and Mac's house, um, where a doctor, um, would use a soldering iron and carve a symbol into their pubic area, uh, uh right next to their vagina, basically. Um, most of the women, once they saw the symbol, they didn't really understand what it meant. They didn't see it. It, what for what it was um, it would later be revealed to be Keith Raniere and Allison Mack's initials so now these women have Keith Raniere and Allison Mack's initials carved into their body next to their vagina they are now a possession of Keith and Allison's um, and I sure wouldn't let them do it uh, yeah well unfortunately it seemed like no, it, this was a very traumatic incident for a lot of these women, but what can they do? You can't say no once they have nude photos. They have you confessing to your husband raping you, you know, and you don't want anybody to see that because it's, it's really a lie and you don't want your husband to be hurt by the fact that you confessed to him raping you. So they use this blackmail to brand these women um, my husband raped me, I would, uh... But that's the thing, is that he didn't. The thing is, is that these instances that they confessed to never happened. So that's why they don't want people to... Like, that's why they don't want it to come out, is because it's a lie. And now their husband's going to be in trouble for something he didn't do, you know? Mm. Uh, uh, and so, uh, Sarah Edmondson was, again, one of the first women to come forward and she basically went to the FBI, I think maybe a week or a month after she was branded. Um, she and her husband, uh, left Nexium both. They were both in it. They were both high ranking members of this group. I think they were both prop, uh, proctors, which was basically the highest you could get to outside of Nancy and Keith. Um, and they basically had to put on this performance because the thing, again, is anybody who left the group was automatically hit with lawsuits, automatically, um, 
cast down by the group. Um, and so they basically had to make it seem like they were about to get a divorce. They basically had to lie to a bunch of people to make it seem like they didn't really want to leave the group, but they had to, to work on their marriage. Um, they had a child at the time and they wanted to be there for their child uh, and secretly go to the FBI and uh, take this case to the FBI. Uh, so 2017, uh, FBI begins their investigation into Nexium. Um, uh, and Keith's basically involvement in sex trafficking and human trafficking. Um, he, uh, shortly left after the investigation began, he and a few of his harem of women fled to Mexico, uh, where they wouldn't be arrested until 2018 by Mexican police. Um, and that was basically the end of Nexium. Um. Laura Saltzman, who was one of the leaders of DOS, um, she only got five years probation um, because she ended up, I think something happened while they were in Mexico whenever they got arrested, which basically disillusioned her to Keith. She was, you know, basically in love with him up until whatever happened in Mexico. Uh, and so she decided to, uh, uh, what's it called? Le there's a term for it, but basically help in the investigation. She basically turned over all the information she had on Keith, everything that was happening. She, um, so yeah, she only got five years probation. Allison Mack was sentenced to three years in prison, three years probation, uh, 1,000 hours of community service, as well as a $200,000 or $20,000 fine. Nancy Salzman, who was the co-founder of the Executive Success Program, was given 42 months in prison um, with a $150,000 fine. Um, and then Keith Ranieri um, was charged with 120 years in prison as well as $1.75 million fine. They were all charged with human trafficking, racketeering, fraud, and sexual offenses. And that is the downfall of Nexium, the executive success cult. Mm. That is, I nice. remember this happening, especially with Alex Mack. It was like a huge yeah. news thing that, like, she was like girl next door, yeah, that yeah. like perfect little innocent girl kind of thing. Yeah. Um, she wasn't a party celebrity, it, so it was no. like a, I remember it being such a shock. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is, it's not like she was just part of this group. She was basically bringing in underage girls yeah. to have sex with Keith Ranieri. Yeah. She was a part of yeah. it. Um, yeah. And, and again, like, uh, as I stated before, at the beginning of this, like, this is, I'm condensing so much information just to make it into an hour. Uh, this is, yeah. there's so much more. There's so much more to, like, Keith, like, was abusing and sexually assaulting young girls this whole time. Basically, from his early right. 20s. I think he was 24, and he had unconsensual sex with a 15-year-old girl um, up until he was arrested. So, this is 40 years of this. And yeah. so, there's right. so much there's so much more to the story. Um, but I really wanted to focus more on Nexium as the cult. Yeah, wow. this was, this was yeah. 
I mean, it seems so crazy, but this was like, I want to say like one of those cults that is like, it's just news stories just recently about this one too, that are so ongoing. Well, yeah, I think, I think Allison was only sentenced in 2021, to be honest. Um, like just recently. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, uh, so, uh, Nancy Saltzman uh, is basically, it seems to be in The Vow Part 2, which is going to be a docuseries on HBO. Seems to be like she's trying to basically make this out to Keith as the villain, which he is. But I think she's trying to but say like, oh, she's the business. Well, and I think she's trying to basically keep the business alive and say like, oh, well, it's not the business's fault. But um, it's definitely the business. Like, it's definitely yeah. part of it. You know, I think in a whole nexium was a cult and this sex yeah. cult was just a product of it yeah. right i don't want her to right because the, the thing is like the trailer so the trailer is the only thing that's dropped right now and it even has members who are i don't know if currently in it because i don't think it can currently be run as nexium but basically people being like well this helped me so i don't know what the problem is um and this program as a whole was the only reason the sex cult happened was because they used emotional manipulation tactics in their classes to make people feel like they weren't the victim. They could never come forward and tell their story because, well, you're at fault. You sent the picture. You took the picture. You put your mortgage up for collateral. It's your fault that this happened to you. So I think that is 100% the reason a lot of these women got into the situation that they were in. Right. It's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm the one that joined. I'm the one that, you know. Right, right, right. That's what it seems like they're trying to yeah. make it out of. And it's hard to, it's hard to tell the world that you did such a stupid thing. So you just kind of keep doing it. Yes. To get yes. By. Yeah. Interesting. That does happen a lot though, where there's like a leader of some organization and when things go bad they start looking at his history and he's done this over and over again mm-hmm. he just kind of keeps right. doing it you know lots of um uh preachers and mm-hmm. you know televangelists and stuff like they have a history of doing these bad things why did you think this was the time this was the time <laughs> that they were they were honest and they were sincere yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. All right, you guys. <laughs> it, excuse me, is 1038 here. Um, yeah. Anything else you guys want to add to the story? Cass, are you done? I'm not cutting you off. Oh, no, that was it. That's, I mean, I've got millions more things about this information, but that's all I wanted to get out. That's all I had time for. Right. All right. All right, guys. Well... Um, thanks for tuning in again this week. Um, we're going to be on every, I think we post every Thursday. Is mm-hmm. that correct? We try. We try. Sometimes right. I, uh, uh, get a little too busy and forget, but I try. Right. So check us out in our next episode next Thursday. And, um, please again, like, share, comment, subscribe, subscribe. Let us know your thoughts at the family school of thought. Would you follow at for gmail.com? Would you join the Nexium cult? Let us know. 
<laughs> no. Because we're all we're all way too smart. I know, right? None What's of us have for that. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Okay, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.